So here are some pictures coming up, and I'd like you uh, to ask yourself, what did I type into Google that produced these pictures? I typed one word into Google, and, um, uh, and I typed, uh, you can hit it so you only get uh, large, large pixel pictures, do you know? So I do that so they project on there. So I typed one word in yesterday, and I got this series of pictures. First one, it's about five. Second one, this is the order they actually appeared in. Third one, fourth one, I think this is the last one, last but one. Last one coming up. Bit of a change of theme there, but they came in that order. Anybody know what they're all about? Light, sun, peace, meditation prayer, getting there, getting close. Reflection, the next one gives it all away. Spirituality was the word. I typed in the word spirituality and I got a bunch of pictures that were all in soft focus of beaches, forests, very fit looking people and uh, candles. That's basically it. Spirituality, soft focus, reflective, drifty, lack of focus, and everybody looking perfect. That's uh, what spirituality has become in our society. Pick up any magazine, and there's usually a spirituality page in there somewhere, and the spirituality page is about exactly the same kind of thing. It's about self-fulfillment. They're about escapism. They're about when life runs really smooth, just like we suspect it's doing for somebody else in this room right now. Now, unfortunately in life, I've got the tag on the front of my name that says Reverend, Reverend Steve Chalk. And everyone knows that life runs smooth for reverends. So I, at the front of this room now, am probably the embodiment of all of that for you. I rise every morning with a smile on my face. I go for a run through the forest, hard to find in South London. I go for a run through the forest. I spend endless days sat on beaches and on the end of piers meditating on the meaning of life. And I come to you in perfect serenity every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. I come to you in perfect relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the whole of the rest of the world. The problem is, of course... And as you name it that way, you realize it's all absolutely fictitious. Dallas Willard, um, an author I'd recommend to you, he wrote some uh, great books. They're kind of hard going. He, he was a much better thinker than he was um, at grammar. But um, I, I know I, uh, uh, Dallas has died. That's not a knock at him. He was my friend and uh, he's, he's a deep scholar, worth reading. And uh, one of his... Uh, one of his great sentences is this. Everyone gets a spiritual formation. It's like education. Everyone gets an education. It's just a matter of which one you get. We are all spiritually formed. I um, flicked from photographs to, um, uh, you can flick across on Google to videos. So I flicked across to videos and I just watched the first few minutes of the first video that came up on spirituality. And what it said was this. It was a guy explaining that we've got to get a balance between spirituality and being grounded. 
And he said that in about five ways in the first few sentences, and by then I was bored stiff because I realized this guy hadn't a clue what he was on about. Spirituality isn't a, a, a spirituality, real spirituality is nothing to do with a balance between the ethereal and the soft focus lensy stuff and the reality of life and being grounded. Spirituality is what you work out on the ground. Over the next uh, weeks, through um, October and November, with one or two gaps, including next week, which I'll explain uh, in a second, uh, we are going to look at spirituality. We're going to look at our spirituality together. We're going to look at what Oasis Church Waterloo believes. We're going to look at what has created all that we do in the community. Uh, the children's center, the play space, the farm, the primary school, the secondary school, the library, taking that on from the local council, the coffee shop, the health center that we're about to build across the road, etc., etc., etc. The endless other partnerships we have in community and the plans ahead of us. That's as much part of our spirituality as the inner journey that each one of us takes. And all of them are the same. I've I, um, spoken at um, several interesting things this week. I spoke at the Labour Party conference on Monday morning. On uh, uh, Wednesday, I spoke to a, a huge bunch of head teachers. Do any, any of you know, um, did any of you ever go or know anything about Spring Harvest? Yeah, Spring Harvest and, you know, all those kind of soul survivor? Yeah. Well, I went to the Spring Harvest or Soul Survivor of, of head teachers. It's <laughs> truly, it's even held at a race course, just like Greenbelt and the Soul Survivor. So it's on this big race course in York. And I spoke to um, loads and loads and loads of head teachers uh, th uh, this week. And they asked me um, uh, questions. And one of the questions they asked me was about work-life balance. A very, you know, insightful question, very meaningful and very deep. They asked, probe my work-life balance. And I just said this, I haven't got any. I don't understand what work-life balance is. I've never understood it. I mean, I've read a load of books on it. I've spent most of my life feeling guilty about not having it, just as I know you have. Because I know there's no one in here who's got work-life balance. It's vacuous. It's the kind of stuff people charge you a fortune to go to a seminar on, and then you find out their life is as crippled as yours. We're all struggling, aren't we? Work-life balance is something you achieve one day in 300. You work out where you get all your resolutions together, you get it, and it works really well until something changes. And things are changing all the time. If you're a parent, your children grow, and now you can't do your meditation in the morning because you've got to drop them off at nursery. How annoying is that? If you're a, a couple without children, you have a child and your whole world, it doesn't just adapt, does it? It's in revolution at that moment, and it's never, ever going to be the same. Your children leave, you lose a job, you gain a job, your income goes up, your in uh, uh, income comes down. You struggle with your mental health, you struggle with relationships, you get made redundant. All sorts of uh, things happen. And I'm just touching the surface of them. There is no such thing as work-life balance on the outside. It's what is happening inside. And that's what I said to those uh, head teachers and said a little bit of a Labour Party conference as well. It's, it's about what's happening on the inside. Life is a storm. We just sang about it. Paul led us in a song about that. The song's called Oceans. Do you remember singing that one at the beginning? 
You know, when the storms rage around us, we'll look to you. Life is a storm, and I know yours is. But it's about how we're orientated internally. It's about our internal compass. It's about keeping our true north that centers us when the week just goes from bad to worse, as it often does for us all. So, spiritual formation. Everyone gets a spiritual formation. There's a trouble with that words term spiritual formation isn't there when we think of spiritual formation endless people just switch off instantly i know they do spiritual formation spiritual rules spiritual rhythms rules of life people go uh, uh, that's for monks and vicars and saints monks vicars and saints do that kind of stuff the rest of us scramble to get through but in actual fact the truth is to invest time in developing that internal mag uh, true north, that internal compass in the storm of life, not aside from the storm of life, is something that we all need. Because the truth is that if we're all caught in the storm of life, every single one of us sat here for some reason is caught in the storm of life, one way or the other, there's another thing that's universally true of every one of us here, we all crave more depth. We all crave to be more centered. There's not one person in this room right now who's saying, hey, I'm happy with the depth I've reached. There's not one person who's saying, do you know, I want to live superficially and just drift around. We all crave more depth. Some of you know a story I told it a long time ago. It's an old story that was passed on to me. I wrote it in one of my books. Two men were wandering down a street in the middle of a city. One was a city dweller. The other one was from the countryside, his cousin, actually. And as the two men wandered down the street, the city dwelling cousin uh, was looking around. It was a busy urban center and a shopping center. And then his country-loving cousin suddenly stopped and pulled him back and looked up at a tree and he said, can you hear it? And his city cousin said, hear what? And the country cousin said, can you hear it? The cricket singing in the tree. The city dwelling cousin said, there's no cricket in that tree. It's the city. And even if there were, you wouldn't be able to hear it in all this din. And he strode on. The country cousin took a coin from his pocket and he held it out. And he dropped it onto the concrete pavement. Ping! And it rolled round and round and round until it stopped. In that instant, the instant of the ping, the city-dwelling cousin screwed his head round, gazing at the, the place where the coin fell, as did 20 other people going past, magnetically drawn to the sound of a falling coin. And the country-dwelling cousin said... Life's all about what you're listening for. It's about listening. Because only as we listen can we find depth or any answers to center us in the storms. The number of times I have a, a conversation with people in a week, truly, who've just been hit 
by the fact that they're ill. They've got something wrong with them. A friend of theirs has died or is dying. They've just been hit by terrible, terrible things in their personal circumstances, or they've switched on the telly, and as Verity said when she was speaking earlier, they've seen the suffering of those people in Syria and Aleppo this morning. You know, no water last week. Th this morning, news that the uh, city in the east of Aleppo has been bombed and there's no water and there is no, now, no medical care for those children. People dying every day. And we're thrown off balance by that. We're, we can't believe in this circumstance. What we need, actually, is a better true north, a deeper true north. And that's what we're going to be looking at over these um, next few weeks. I'm not going to talk for a long time. In fact, we're going to take bread and wine and communion together in just a moment or two. But here it is. Some of you would have seen this before. Um, I, uh, I've got a friend called Brian, Brian McLaren, who's coming to speak here next weekend. If you've not booked up for next Saturday, Brian's around all day and he's around in the evening. Brian McLaren from the States, uh, great writer, great thinker, and uh, you can get tickets for that online through our website, I, I think. But um, Brian's going to be around um, next Saturday. Next Sunday, by the way, all of the leaders of, well, most of the leaders of Oasis from around the world are going to be around. We work in uh, 10 other countries, and they're all going to be here. And we're going to devote our morning service, a little aside from what we're doing through October and November, to thinking about the refugee crisis. We work in Belgium. We actually, Oasis actually works in the communes where the terrorists who launched that outrage in Paris and in Belgium, we work in those communities. And the leader of what we do uh, here, uh, there, his name's Phil, is going to be here. And uh, we're going to show a little film of the work we do with refugees um, who, who, if given nothing and have no hope, anyone's open to a bad story because you've got to find some story of life from somewhere but anyway brian's going to be here next weekend and he's going to and i i developed this thing with him uh, about five six years ago and uh, here it is a 21st century gospel information on how to get to heaven after you die with a large footnote about increasing your personal happiness and success through god before you die with a small footnote about character development. With an even smaller footnote about spiritual experience. With a tiny footnote about social and global transformation. That is not the message of Jesus. Graham Cray, um, Graham Cray, he was the um, uh, 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 bishop up north and... Uh, very involved in Soul Survivor and, and, and uh, Greenbelt, uh, Graham says this in one of his books, if our goal is whole life Christianity, our task is to change the church's current default settings. We've got to think different. We're, we're revolutionary people, but you'd never believe it sometimes, would you? You'd believe we were status quo people who are scared of saying anything that might be controversial. You'd believe that we're the kind of people who, uh, who, who follow the mainstream and the main line and the center because we're very frightened of saying anything that might affect our finances or our standing in society at all. If you're looking for revolution and hope, you might not choose to look into a local church. 
But that is what we're about. And over these next two months, through October and November, with these one or two breaks, we're going to be looking at our spirituality together, our rule of life, at what that is and how it works. Jesus said this, If you're tired from carrying heavy burdens, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, take the yoke I give you, put it on your shoulders and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble and you will find rest. This is a chance to breathe out and breathe in, to find hope, to stretch. That's what Christian spirituality is about. That's what Jesus came to bring us. That's what we're going to be exploring over these next weeks. We're going to be actually looking at our five values. This church has five values, but if uh, you've shown up in the last year or so, perhaps uh, you won't know what uh, they are. So we're going to be looking at them over the next few weeks. Now, this you will not be able to read. (laughs) There you are. But it has been expertly put put together. It's been put together out of a discussion, actually, uh, that's involved the leadership team, involved Jill who sat there who came up with this, Daniel who's worked on it. It's, um, it's brilliant, it's just you can't see it very well. But don't worry, it's not for you to read right now. I'm going to explain what it, uh, it is to you. And, um, and in a few weeks' time, we're going to give everyone a copy of this, your own personal copy of this. Benedict lived in about the year about 500. And Benedict... St. Benedict started the Benedictine order, the Benedictine monks. There are Benedictines who work all over London. You can be a secular Benedictine, so I've got a friend who's a Benedictine who, um, who's one of the um, uh, governors of ITV. I've got a friend who's a Benedictine who um, works in the Bank of England. Uh, but there are Benedictines who sit in monasteries. What St. Benedict did was he simply said... Develop a rule of life. Live, actually live by the pattern you set. Make sure that your activities, your habits, the stuff you really do is linked to what you believe. Here's a circle. It was put together by a... It's not great, but it, I, I was going to say it was put together by a guy called Simon Sinek. If you've not uh, heard of Simon Sinek, you should uh, read him or at least watch a YouTube video with him. He's got a great YouTube video about this circle. He calls it the Golden Circle. And he's got a great book, uh, which is called Start With Why. And that's the point of this circle. What Simon says, Simon Sinek says, is we don't start with why, we start with what. What am I going to do today? What am I going to wear? What kind of house do I want? What kind of car do I want to drive? What kind of job do I want? What kind of salary do I want? What kind of partner do I want? What, What kind of area of the country do I want to live in? We start with what all the time, and then we move in. We say, right, how am I going to achieve it? How am I going to get that person to be my wife, my husband, my partner? How am I going to get that job? How am I going to get that salary? How am I going to get to live in a house like that? How am I going to get to drive a car like that? We start with what, and then we work on to how. And why gets forgotten all the time, but Simon Sinek says, start with why. 
Start always with why, because if you don't start with why, you'll end up doing a load of stuff with your life that you never really meant to do in the first place. You'll end up living somewhere, earning a salary, kind of in a lifestyle, and you'll hit kind of 40 or 50, and you go, why on earth am I doing this? And it's kind of too late because you're blocked in and you can't get out of it and you're paying a heavy mortgage and you're earning that money and you're on that treadmill and it's going round because you never started with why. Start with why. Then ask how. And then ask what. Start with why you're here and move out from there. That's what this circle is about, which you still can't see. So here's a slightly... uh, uh, You still can't read it. But um, let me explain something to you. Don't even try to read it, except right in the center it says Christ-centered. And then next out, it's got five values. You can see them. Intimacy with God, influence through service, interdependence with each other, inclusion of all, and involvement in society. Those are our five eyes, the five values of Oasis Church Waterloo. They've always been our five values. You can see them on our website. Uh, they're there. So our why is to serve Christ. Then our how is to develop those five values. And then, can you see, it says activities around the edge. The point is, that's our what. The activities aren't filled in. In a few weeks' time, you're going to get a chance to fill them in. If we, if we live in a Christ-centered life, and if we're committed to inclusion and involvement and intimacy and influence and interdependence, the question is, what activities are we involved in so we live on purpose related to the way we have chosen in life rather than believe a whole load of stuff and do something else? Now, the activities, that's the bit over the next few weeks you're going to get a chance to map for yourself. They're not all activities to do with here. It's not like if I believe in involvement, oh, that means I've got to help run the library and help run the coffee shop and I've definitely got to work on the farm. Actually, one of those things might be true of you. But actually, if you're involved, well, I'm looking at Johnny over there who happens to be a Labour MP. Do you know? So, for Johnny, involvement is serving Christ inside Westminster, just on the other side of the river. Do you see? That's one example. So, what Johnny might write down, join the shadow cabinet. Do you see? (laughs) I only said that because Johnny and I have been talking about that. Do you see? So, do you see? That's an active... I am Christ-centred. I'm involved in society. Join the shadow cabinet. Whereas that would only apply to Johnny, not to you. Whereas you might say, I'm Christ-centered, therefore I'm involved, so I am going to... It might be, I'm a teacher, but I'm going to become a head. It might be, I'm a head teacher, but actually I'm going to give up that and I'm going to work on the front line with kids in a school. It might be that I'm going to see through a project in this local community. It might be that I'm going to befriend my neighbors either side of me. I have no idea what it means and no one can write it down for you only you can but you see it's about the why in the middle the how moving out our five values and the what which is totally personal so these are those five values um, that 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 are next out you see christ-centered and those five values these are our values they're on our website 
intimacy with God. And we're going to look at one of these over the weeks till the end of November before Advent with our one or two little stops. Intimacy with God. We believe that God has made us for relationship with himself. This is expressed through our everyday lives as we seek to follow and serve Jesus, as well as in our regular worship together. The first I, the first of our five values, the first um, of our five eyes. We believe that God made us for a relationship with himself. Being a Christian isn't about living for God, it's about living with God. We're not all flogging ourselves to death remembering who God is. It's about a real relationship with God. And we have to nurture that if we want it. Second one, involvement in society. We believe that God asks each of us to partner with him in bringing hope and transformation to individuals as well as to society as a whole. Our task is therefore to work to help create just and compassionate social, economic, and political structures for the planet and all its people. Our spirituality isn't soft lens. It's not all by beaches and in forest glens. It's not, it's not all sat with little Ikea candles gazing into them. It's about changing the world. And that is fueled out of our intimacy with God. We're in relationship with him, not doing stuff for him. We're walking with him. The third of our three eyes, our five eyes, is inclusion of all. We believe that God loves every human being without exception. Our goal is to build an inclusive community, therefore, that reflects this in our welcome and celebration, not just acceptance, celebration of all people, regardless of their background, social standing, gender, disability, sexuality, or ethnicity. That is who we are. Seeking intimacy with God, involvement in society, and inclusion of all. Our fourth is this, interdependence with each other. We believe that God exists as a community himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, a, spirit, a, a community of diversity, actually. We are called to reflect this interdependence through our commitment to giving and sharing our resources with each other, including our finance, our time, and our skills. So when, a, when someone stands up here, at like Verity, and says, hey, we need someone to help with us with administration so we can buy this refugee house in this community. That's about intimacy with God, because a relationship with the God of love should teach us that we have to welcome the stranger and the person who has nothing. It's about involvement with society, and it's about... It's about this interdependency. If I can administrate, yeah, it might mean I miss Coronation Street till Christmas. But I will invest in that. Because for me, Christianity isn't a soft lens option that fits in with my lifestyle. It is my lifestyle. It's the way I live. And our last is influence through service. We don't seek power, we seek influence. We believe God has revealed his character and nature through Jesus, his life, his teaching, his example of servant leadership. Our task is to imitate Christ, to serve with integrity and joy rather than seek power and position. 
or moan our way. It doesn't say that. This, is, this bit isn't on the website. Or moan our oh, I've been serving here for 20 years and everything's terrible, but I put up with people and, oh, I'm upset again. We serve with integrity and joy and lay down our lives because this is what we believe. And that is all on there, you see? Christ-centered, values, then it's written out what they are, and then we work to our activities. That's what it's about. There's a story uh, that I told um, uh, about a year ago. It's a fantastic story, I've, uh, and, it, and it's not my story. It's a story from uh, a rabbi called Akiva, Akiva ben Joseph. Akiva ben Joseph is one of those very famous people from Jewish histories. If this was a synagogue and not a church, we'd, we'd often talk about uh, Akiva, Rabbi Akiva. And that Rabbi Akiva was born in about 40, about 10 years after Jesus died, and then he lived into the second century. And uh, Akiva, very wise guy. Anyway, he lived in Caper- well, he lived outside Capernaum, and Capernaum had the market square in it. And he went to market one day, and he got his carrots and stuff like that. And he's on his way home, but he's a rabbi, and rabbis get deep in thought. So Akiva's wandering home, and it's getting dark because he went to the market at the end of the day because the stuff was cheaper then. So he's wandering home, and he's wandering home to his village, but he has to take this little right fork Otherwise, he ends up in the wrong place. And, uh, but he gets into his thoughts. And you know what we all do sometimes. We get absent-minded. And does this happen to you? You get in a car, for instance, and you end up driving to the same place as you drive on Monday to Friday, even on Sunday, because you do it automatically. So he ends up in the wrong place. And uh, in the darkness, as the darkness is descending, the gloom and the dusk is descending, he hears this voice. And the voice says, who are you? Why are you here? And he looks up and he realizes he's reached, reached the Roman garrison because Israel's been conquered by the Romans and the Romans are in charge. And there's this young Jewish boy dressed in a Roman uniform in a turret and he's on sentry duty. And uh, Akiva looks up and the young man repeats, Who are you? Why are you here? And Akiva, being a rabbi, I suppose, answers the question with another question. He says, Who are you? Why are you here? And the young man says, I'm employed by the Romans to stand sentry. Who are you? Why are you here? And Akiva answers with another question. He says, how much do they pay you to shout those two questions? And the young man proudly announces, I am paid five drachmas a week. Akiva thinks about it. And then he looks up at the young man and he shouts this. I'll double that. I'll pay you 10 drogmas a week if you will come to my house, stand outside my front door, and every morning as I get up, shout, Who are you? Why are you here? The two biggest questions. That's what our five eyes are about. Who are we? Why are we here? We won't be here forever. Therefore, let's live on purpose. Da Vinci painted this picture. They've just done it up, cleaned it. Jesus round the table, we're going to take bread and wine. Of course, it never happened like that. There was never a table with a nice cloth and some fancy um, embroidery work. It looked more like this. But Jesus gathered his disciples around. It wasn't an altar that he gathered them around. It was a table. It was a table of friendship, not some altar. And round the table of friendship, 
He said to them, will you take this bread and will you take this wine, this bread that signifies my body broken? Will you do this with me? Are you willing for your body to be broken? Will you take my yoke on you? Will you live this way? Will you live intentionally? Who are you? Why are you here? And will you take this cup, this wine, and drink this? Who are you? Why are you here? Will you drink this wine with me? Are we together? Are we just physically round a table? Are, are, are we a team round a table? Paul and the band are going to come back and they're going to lead us uh, in a song. And as they lead us in a song, uh, children are going to come back as well. Because they're part of this community based around these five eyes, these five values that we're going to explore together over these next few weeks as we learn what partnership is together and what being a church is together. They're going to come back so that they can join in with us as we take bread and wine and as a whole community say, we know who we are, we know why we're here, we know what our true north is, we know what our values are, we know we're Christ-centred, and over these coming weeks, each one of us is individually, individually is going to work out, so what activities are we involved in? Because if our activities don't match our values, something has to change somewhere.